0: Good day. This is Dennis Connor. I'm coming to you from San Diego, California, courtesy of the specialty produce network. This is my very first podcast, so I'm a bit discombobulated, but I'm gonna do the best I can to entertain you and share with you some thoughts about my earlier life. So the beginning. I was born in Point Loma, California. My mom and dad, Paul and Pam Connor, went to Point Loma High School. And fortunately for me, my father was a fisherman because the camera, the cannery right next to my house at the foot of Cannon Street was where he brought his fish and was also next to the San Diego Yacht Club. And since we're all a product of our environment, naturally it was easy for me to hang out down there as a uh, attractive nuisance. So when I got out of school, I just went down to the yacht club and hang, hung out there with my uh, future friends, hoping for a ride. So after uh, attending Cabrillo Elementary and Dana Junior High School and Point Loma High, you know, in those days, the deal was, well, your parents wanted you to go to college. I had no idea why I wanted to go to college, but seemed important to my m- mom and dad, so I uh, enrolled at San Diego State, about uh, 20 uh, miles from my home in Point Loma. But I really didn't know what I was doing or why I was there or what I should study or what my majors should be. So I, I, just, uh, I just attended, and I wasn't too motivated to, uh, to learn much because I didn't see any reason for it. So the one other small problem was I had no car so I had to ride the bus from Point Loma down to the uh, main bus terminal on Broadway and then transfer to San Diego State. So it, it took me an hour and a half to go to school and an hour and a half back. So if there was only one class, it was pretty hard to get motivated about uh, getting uh, myself uh, on that bus out to San Diego State. Well, this all manifested in itself that I was uh, strictly an uh, average student at best. And uh, bear in mind that while I was going to college, the uh, Vietnam War was going on. And there were draft numbers that you got in a lottery. So if you had a low lottery number and your grades weren't so great at San Diego State, guess what? The United States Army decides to give you a call and uh, you have a chance to serve your country. So fortunately or unfortunately for me, that was the case, and I was... uh, uh, given the opportunity to join the United States Army, which I did. It was a very short stint, but uh, I I learned a bit. And uh, the biggest thing I learned that coming back to sleepy little Point Loma was a lot better than sleeping in a a barracks with a bunch of other guys. So I got got out of the Army, came back to San Diego. Of course, I had no idea. I had no idea at all uh, what I was going to do or where my future might lead. So I uh, went back to my roots, which was the uh, San Diego Yacht Club, of course, and, the, and to my heroes there. Uh, because I had a chance to go sailing a little bit, I uh, learned that it was a lot of fun to compete. I really loved it. And the reason I loved it so much was because at school, I was just the average person. I was nothing special. I wasn't the best-looking guy. And I wasn't the smartest or the most glib. And on the baseball field, I was uh, batting ninth, lucky to have a uniform and be playing right field. But the one thing I could do that was uh, nice for me was I could sail better than my peers. And and because of that, I got a few boys. People would give me a pat on the back and say, hey, nice going, I see you uh, won a race. And boy, that made me feel good. That, that really... Uh, was a a very positive note in my mind. And because I got that positive note, I wanted to do more and and get better. It was was really nice having uh, a nice pat on the back like that. So I hung around with the uh, other good sailors that we had in San Diego, which fortunately we had an awful lot of talent there, a lot of uh, former star world champions. We had... uh, uh, Malin uh, Burnham and uh, Lowell North, and, uh, of course, uh, Jerry Driscoll. And uh, in addition to those wonderful, wonderful sailors, we had the good fortune of having Carl Eichenlob, our uh, main built boat builder. He was just a magician with uh, wood, and he could do so much. He, he was a lightning and snipe sailor, so because I hung around with him and I was uh, a small guy, very eager to, to uh, go sailing, I got a chance to start sailing with uh, Carl Eichenlob. So at uh, lunchtime, I would sneak down to his yard on, at uh, 2701 Shelter Island Drive and hang out while Lowell and Malin and Carl and Pete Bennett came and had their, their lunch. And they'd talk about how to make their boats go faster, which of course I just so uh, soaked it up. I just couldn't get enough of it. It was hard to even go back to uh, to school. But to give you some idea what they would talk about, they, they talked about how to make their starboat go faster. And Lowell, he was the real genius, the real engineer. He was the instigator. Not surprisingly, became the world's best sailmaker. But he came up with the idea that uh, weight aloft was very important in the speed of a boat because it increased the pitching moment of the boat. So if you had a lot of weight in the ends or weight up on the top of the mast, when the boat went through the waves, it would pitch. And when you pitched back and forth, you'd slow down. So Lowell came up with this genius idea of making a star mast with a uh, cedar core inside the spruce mast. The specific gravity of cedar was not much lighter than spruce, So the the star mast, I don't remember exactly what the weights were, instead of weighing 15 pounds at the top of the mast, it only weighed 14 pounds. And, uh, of course, this was a uh, major speed-producing item. So this is the sort of thing that that Lowell would uh, banner around. Uh, Carl Eichenlaub would get the idea. Well, let's just uh, take and make a cedar core inside this mast, shave it all down, It'll be, uh, be uh, better than all your buddies, and you're going to win a lot of races. I can't remember the timetable of this, but about the same time Lowell was winning the Star Worlds in Bacardi against Char- Charlie uh, uh in Cuba. So this, this was one of the uh, few times Lowell didn't win the, the Star Worlds. He won it four times, but this time he broke his mass and it ended up at uh, Derwin Knowles. Our close personal friend from Nassau won the Worlds and took the Worlds back to Nassau. So this is, this is the life of uh, your friend Dennis Connor. You go to uh, school, skip out as fast as you can so you can get down to the uh, Ikenlawn Boatyard and listen to all your friends talk about sailing. And they could see you were quite keen. So once in a while when they needed a crew, hey, Dennis, are you available this weekend? Are you kidding? I would kill to be there. So uh, along with my friend, Mike O'Brien, who was uh, my schoolmate chum, we got in that uh, lightning, and we were just so thrilled and proud to be part of Carl Eichelhoff's crew. And when Carl said, hey, do you guys want to go to the lightning world championship in uh, Buffalo, New York? We said, are you kidding? We couldn't wait to get in that car, put the lightning um, on the trailer, and tow it to Buffalo, New York. Brings a a small story back to mind when mike and i got there the, we were when you, it seems like when you come from the furthest away you're always the first to arrive so we got to the buffalo canoe club and for those of you that haven't had the good fortune of being across the peace bridge in buffalo it, it, it's on the edge of uh, lake Erie with a uh, long long run out to the uh, water deep enough even f- to float a lightning so mike and i we got there and we put our uh, lightning down near the water and we figured out that uh, how they got the boats in the water was they used an old World War II Army truck to lift the boat up on the crane, drive the the uh, crane and the truck out into the water and lower it down in the water. So we figured out, Mike was very clever, he, we figured out how to hotwire the uh, Army truck and get our lightning up on the back of the truck, it was really Carl's lightning, of course, and uh, drive it out onto the uh, water and lower it down in the water. Well, unfortunately for us, we didn't know, the uh, lay of the land too well, so when we were driving it out there, we fell in this big pothole. It was like a uh, forever deep. So the way I remember it, I'm sure it was a little bit different. Here we are stuck in this truck in Buffalo, New York. We have no idea. No one's around, no caretaker. Our boat's sitting out there floating in the water, and the truck's submerged in, in the water, and here we are. What are we going to do next? Well, Mike, he was pretty smart and clever. He said, well, we'll just call the automobile club. So we called the automobile club and told them we were stuck uh, along the lake in, uh, uh, at the uh, Buffalo Canoe Club, and they sent a truck driver, and he saw our dilemma. We tied all our sheets and lines together, ran it out to the uh, truck, and we finally got that truck back up on dry land. Can you imagine 98 lightnings coming to this regatta, and that truck me in the water? It would have been uh, We'd be hanging at the end of a noose instead of uh, uh, having a beer at the bar. But this is the sort of activities that were going on Back in 1958, with Mike and I crewing for Carl, and it, it was uh, just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And by the way, did I tell you that we won the world championships that year? So one of my very, very first world championships with Carl Eichenlau and Michael O'Brien. So I'll take a little break for now, and uh, I'll be back to you with a few more stories shortly. Don't forget, you're listening to the Specialty Produce Network, and I uh, hope you're enjoying it. Thank you. Dennis yeah. Conner coming to you live from San Diego. You're listening to me on the Specialty Produce Network, and I have a few questions that I think have been generated from my uh, Facebook podcasts. So I'm going to read one here from Rich Fishbeck that says, Hey, Dennis, if there was one boat left on the planet to sail the rest of your life, what would it be? Thanks, Rich, from uh, Balboa Yacht Club. Well, this is a pretty easy one. They're getting me warmed up because the best boat in the world to, is the uh, star boat. There's just no question about it. It's been around 100 years, and all the best sailors in the world, not all, but a good majority of them have come out of the star class, whether it's uh, uh, Buddy Melges or, or uh, the uh, uh, Bill Bucken, Lowell North, people just that were just so amazing. They came out of that star class, and that's because the boat is so technically oriented that if you make a small change on the boat, if you use the lower running backstay or you tighten the upper backstay, it changes the shape of the sail, not only the jib but the main. So you learn very quickly that if you change that sail, it's going to be the same or it's going to be better or worse. So you can really get uh, instant feedback because the other guys are right there alongside of you, and you know right away... You you learn very quickly. Did that speed me up or uh, slow me down? Because if you're two boat lengths away from the uh, guy right to leeward and you're not going as well, it won't be long before you uh, end up sailing right down into his gas, and you'll get blasted off to the back of the fleet. So the answer to your question, Rich, it's the starboat, man. It's the starboat, 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 starboat. Thanks, uh, Rich, for calling that question in. Here's another interesting question that. Uh, I know that people uh, are are, inter- are are always asking and that is why is the America's Cup being held in Bermuda this particular one came from Jonathan Wesley King so Jonathan the answer to that question is that there's only a few people that really know the answer to that question and the the, the few people are uh, is uh, Russell Coutts and his friend Larry Ellison the chairman of Oracle who's paying to uh, host the event and put up the defender. So Russell and uh, Larry are in charge. And I think what happened is, uh, to answer your question, why is the America's Cup being held in Bermuda? It's because it didn't work out so well when they had the America's Cup in San Francisco. Sure, there was a big event there um, on the city front. That the people that saw it, oh man, look how fast those boats are going! So the people down there at the end of uh, Pier Thirty Nine or out in front of the Saint Francis Yacht Club, uh, when these boats would go by at forty knots, wow, wow, I can't believe what are they doing? And then why are they up on foils? So it was so exciting, and uh, people on the on the TV loved it. So it got great feedback from the people that were actually at the event. The, the people watching on TV, not so much. It was kind of uh, boring to see some of the coverage where at Gary Johnson saying, boy, they're really trying hard now. Boy, look at them go. Well, I got a little old after a while. And uh, I think the people got a little bit tired of watching the boats just sail along. But when the score came down to the very end and it was 8-8, uh, uh, eight to eight, whoever won the next race, Wins the America's Cup and you have Oracle coming from this huge behind comeback and winning the cup, beating New Zealand. Wow, the America's Cup was really flying high. If you follow the analogy of one hole out of the water, so what happens next? Well, Larry and uh, Russell start talking to San Francisco about having a rematch, and this is where the, this is more conjecture as as to fact. Uh, so I don't really know, but what I think happened is that they started negotiating the financial end of the America's Cup for the 2017 event. And I think that uh, San Francisco felt that they didn't get their money's worth out of the investment that they made in in creating the infrastructure around the water, the docks and the hangars, the parking, and uh, all of the uh, shops out there, the America's Cup, that the return on the investment to the San Francisco public and the government. Didn't pay the costs of involved of uh, coming up with the uh, with the uh, venue, and so when it came, push came to shove, and they really uh, got down to the short order. I don't think that uh, Larry liked the answer he got from San Francisco, so my guess is uh, he instructed his uh, friend Russell, who's really the head of the event and running the event. He is the uh, godfather of the event under Larry. He he said, Russell, why don't you see what other options are out there? So that was easy for Russell to do. The word got out quickly. And, of course, San Diego uh, put their hand up. Troy Sears, who owned the Yacht America, I was his partner in the boat at the time, so I know what I'm speaking. He, He got a group of people from the San Diego Convention Center, the City of San Diego, San Diego Yacht Club, and they put together a uh, program where we, the, we in San Diego would come up with some money. We had the venue. We could run the races in front of the city. They'd run some America's Cup races there, and they worked out all right. You could have your place at the Sheraton and have your penthouse up there. So there was plenty of room for corporate uh, entertainment at the convention center. Uh, on the uh, surface, it looked like a perfect place to have the America's Cup. And the people around San Diego really got excited about it. But um, uh, unfortunately, it was not to be. The the excitement didn't follow with money, which they needed to uh, make their commitment to Russell and and Larry to pay for the event. So the money didn't follow. And so Russell looked elsewhere. Well, as we know, uh, I think history would show that uh, he had an opportunity to get to Bermuda and get to know some of the folks there at the Bermuda Development uh, Corporation and the there's, there is a lot of interest in sailing. Some of the best sailors in the world, Peter Bromby, uh, been, learned how to sail right there on the Great Sound. A lot of interest at the Royal Bermuda Yacht Club in sailing. And so uh, Russell was down there for an event. I don't know which the event. It could have been the Newport to Bermuda race. And he, he started uh, chatting with the uh, leaders of the yachting community in Bermuda. And I believe it was over a round of golf at the uh, Bermuda Open where Russell had a ch- Russell loves to play golf. As a matter of fact, he's building his own golf course in uh, New Zealand. So Russell was uh, out socializing uh, after the uh, golf and uh, let it be known that if uh, this is a, such a great place, the, vi- the, wo- the, we- the water's beautiful, the weather's beautiful, you all love the, the yachting here, and Royal Bermuda Yacht Club is one of the nicest yacht clubs in the world. Why don't you host the America's Cup here? They said, well, how do we do that? Russell said, simple. Just put your facilities up, uh, put your hand up, and follow it with a fistful of cash. And if the money is enough, uh, we'll deliver you the America's Cup. So as we know now, they came up with the money. They had a government initiative, that, uh, basically a vote of the people that said we wanted to have the cup here. They came up with the funding. And uh, now in May of this year, a few short months away, we're going to see the Louis Vuitton uh, uh, eliminations between half a dozen countries to see who will be the official challenger for the America's Cup. We're going to have Larry Ellison out there racing right alongside with his Oracle group, uh, tuning up. Uh, The the boats will be foiling, and it will be a, a very exciting uh, America's Cup, especially for those able to view it in person, where the jury is still out as to how the TV will be because the boats are going so fast. Imagine a boat going by at 40 miles an hour. and Oh, there it is. Here it comes. Here, here, here it is. Here it goes. That's the whole event. We used to have America's Cup races that lasted four hours. These uh, America's Cup races, because of the constraints of the TV, are going to be 20 minutes. So it's going to be a completely different animal It'll be interesting and exciting. There'll be crashes. There'll be people tipping over. There'll be the judges on the water flagging people. You won't know for sure who's going to win until you cross that line. But um, it's going to be a different event than uh, San Diego would have been and certainly a different event than, than San Francisco. So we'll, uh, we'll know if he made the right decision shortly. And for those of us that have been involved in the America's Cup, who are, are really our lives, it's our legacy We'll hope that uh, he made a good choice and that our legacy will continue and that um, we'll be smiled on in the future. So, John Wesley King, great question. and I hope that was uh, the answer you're looking for. Thank you very much. Here's another uh, good question. This one comes from Bob Reutblatt. The history of bananas being banned from boats is a bit strange. What's the real story on this? And again... I think that history would tell you and legend would tell you, the lore of it, if you will, is that uh, when the Polynesians were coming here from uh, where it was, uh, you know, the Fiji or, or the uh, South Pacific, obviously they had to have uh, some fruit to live on. and they weren't, they, uh, So they packed away uh, all the vegetables they could, and it didn't take them long that uh, when they were paddling or sailing uh, around the islands that they uh, found out that the uh, fruit that was packed in with bananas got uh, stale much more quickly than the fruit that wasn't with the bananas. So I think as it turned out that there is, there is a uh, element of bananas that, that uh, they exude that makes uh, fruit ripen more quickly or on the other side of things, um, harder to keep the fruit fresh so, a very, good, uh, a very good story, and I hope that uh, that uh, fits nicely with, with your question. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you'd like me to answer any more questions, follow me on Facebook. Thanks for listening.